0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. It's been interesting to to watch the, the news lately. I don't know if you pay attention to the news. I'm a kind of a, an information junkie, and so the news fits right into my information-gathering junkiness. And unfortunately, a lot of it's junky. But what was interesting in, uh, in my thinking about it was uh, just how it stacks up. I, just, I wrote down a couple of things I've heard in the news lately. Um, global warming is going to destroy the planet. There's a recent article, uh, I think it was in the New Yorker or someplace, that that it was just the apocalypse is coming, it's all over, global warming is going to destroy the planet. I think that was probably released right before they froze the east out. New York's been kind of frozen lately, so maybe global cooling is going to destroy the planet. Donald Trump is either a maniacal genius or a complete boob. You pick. North Korea is going to bomb the USA. Iran is going to bomb everybody. The stock market is going to crash. The fluing, flu is going to kill us all. Or any other number of apocalyptic tales. You start, you start listening to the, to the news, and it's just... And I know they have to do some of this salaciousness to get us to pay attention. After a while... You know, you're just not watching anymore unless something's really bad. Because there's so much going on, and every day they tell us, you know, breaking news. And unless it's really breaking, we're not paying much attention. But man, I don't think they have to get quite so extreme. According to the Bible, Satan is out to kill us, and God will destroy the planet. That's the story breaking news. And with all of this, there's a, uh, a recent book coming out by, and I, this guy's name, I'm, not, I'm sure I'm going to mess up. It's John, T-S-I-L-I-M-P-A-R-I-S. Too many consonants next to each other. Silimparis, I think. Silimparis, whatever. He's not here, I don't think. This is his conclusion about all this. For many people, anxiety comes from clinging to the illusion of control. Huh. Global warming is going to kill us. The only thing I can think about clinging to is maybe the side of some piece of a boat that's gone. I feel like, you know the Titanic, and it's going down. And yet amidst all of this, the biblical call is to worry not. Now, I want you to remember when this is happening. The biblical climate may have been worse than ours. Rampant immorality rampant immorality there are whole cities who are dedicated to gods whose entire purpose is immoral relationships that's as much as I'm going to say about that the idea that um, that children could be drawn into this is an accepted cultural norm the pollution of the political system has reached epic proportions People are buying and selling leadership around the country and around the world. And, and people are buying in Israel. People are buying the high priesthood. Literally buying the leadership of the church. Romans are pretty much stationed anywhere in the world where there's any little possibility of an uprising. So Roman garrison soldiers marching around the streets doing whatever they please. In large part, the soldiers can tell you and make you do, tell you to do anything and make you do that thing. This is the culture into which the words "worry not" are spoken layer upon that the fact that Christianity, this rising movement within the the Roman Empire, is absolutely in opposition with the government. And everywhere it goes, when it comes in contrast or comes up against the government, it loses. Christians are being thrown in jail. Terrible things are being done to them. And yet, worry not. And the place where this comes forward in Philippians chapter 4, isn't a suggestion. It isn't, y'all ought to consider not worrying. It is a command. Stop it. Don't worry. Don't be anxious for anything. No thing. That's the command. And yet, I turn on the news, and I get layers of things to worry about. I think about my kids, and I start finding things to worry about. Now, I come from a long history of worrying. My grandmother was an expert. She passed it on to others in my family. My mom, not as good an expert as my grandmother, but pretty good at it. My grandmother was good enough to invent things to worry about. I usually have to have an actual thing to worry about, which I consider an improvement. But sometimes the actual things that I worry about aren't as actual as I think they might be. And then I go to a church that's trying to build a building. And we get right up to the edge of, of building that building. I mean, right on the brink. We took shovels. We dug in the ground. We opened it up. The kids got it. was a celebration. It was awesome. A week from now, there will be bulldozers and things out here. And that week has come and gone, and the other one, and the other one, and the other one. And, the, and We've been now about eight weeks, maybe ten weeks, since we said this is starting. Because the city of Rockland decided to finally open the plans. It's true. They called us the week of our, uh, of our ground op- grand opening or, or groundbreaking and said, oh, we opened the plans and we have some problems. They've had them for three months by that point. So here we are. I hadn't had much anxiety about that because it was so far out of reach. There was nothing I could do about it. It was God's problem. So maybe my anxiety needs bigger problems. Yours? Clinging to the false impression that I have control. You? I want to explore this just a little bit today. I want to unpack it a little bit under that subject, under that topic, worry not. The first thing I want to point out is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where Peter says, Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Cast all your cares upon Him. Who's the Him? Yeah, Jesus, God. It's it's the Godhead. Cast all of your cares upon God. He cares about you. He cares what's happening to you. Ever had someone in your life, this puts you at ease? I have a good friend who... Um, who I've sailed with quite a bit. And I'm pretty comfortable sailing a boat without someone else. I'm pretty comfortable in that role Um, on a big boat. Tim has a a little boat. He's going to teach me how to not be afraid while that's happening. But eventually I'll figure that out. Maybe if Tim's a good teacher. We'll see. I'll report back later. But I can sail that boat. I could pretty much head out west. Heading out east doesn't get you very far. Head out west and just go provisioned properly, you could travel from here to Japan in that boat. Not a real big worry. I'm pretty comfortable there. But when my friend is on the boat, I breathe easier. When he is on the boat, because I know he has greater experience, and I just have sailed with him a lot. I've been out in difficult times, in easy times, when, when a sail blew out going down the co- down the coast of California and just literally shredded opened up like a zipper had been zipped down uh, down through the middle of the sail. We were right there together. We were sailing along. Nobody panicked. Because we were pretty comfortable with the knowledge of the captain. We were pretty comfortable with the with the, the experiences we'd had together. Fear not. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And he knows what he's doing. I like add I like to add that He cares for you, and he knows what he's doing, because the inexperienced person who cares for me doesn't give me a great deal of comfort. You know, the person who says, I really care about what's happening, I have no idea what's going on, but I care about it, pray. Peter, speaking into this, experiences it. Now think about what you know about Peter. Those of you who are new to the scripture, Peter's one of those high energy, stuff comes out of his mouth before he gets a chance to filter it, sort of guys. A guy who acts on impulse, a guy who can get angry, a guy who can respond negatively, who, could, who can punch you in the face before he thinks about the fact that he shouldn't do that. That's Peter. That's his personality. This is the guy telling us, ah, Cast all your cares on him. Stop worrying. Don't worry about it. Relax. Relax. How does this guy get to that point? So I want to talk a little bit about his uh, his experience in jail. Do you ever know that Peter? Have you ever heard that Peter was on death row? Do you remember the story? It's in Acts chapter twelve. If you want to find it in your Bible. It's in Acts chapter twelve, beginning at the beginning at the verse one. About that time, so just just gather a time, you don't need to know what time, but about that time, as the, as the disciples are growing, the church is beginning to grow, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. Remember I told you the church was running up against the government? He begins to persecute some of the believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Now stop for a sec. What do you know about James and Peter? Anybody know anything about James and Peter? Remember the three amigos? The the guys who are closest to Jesus? The the guys who are walking with him everywhere he goes? Peter, James, and John. This is one of Peter's buddies. This is one of Peter's uh, partners in the fishing business. This is someone Peter has probably known since childhood. They're from the same town. This is probably one of Peter's best friends. James is killed by the sword and Peter looks like he's next. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. So, so James gets killed. He grabs Peter. What does that say to Peter? You're next. You're next. And so Peter should be a little concerned a tiny bit worried, a little put out, maybe upset, maybe some indigestion. Perhaps Peter should be struggling with his sleep at night. Peter gets arrested, put on death row. The only thing that's holding up the the, the murder of Peter right now is the fact that it happened during Passover. They snatched him during the Passover. So now they have to wait. They imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of soldiers. How many? Four squads of soldiers. Are they serious about him? Yeah, this is pretty high security. Four squads of soldiers... This is a this is a, a, a group of sixteen soldiers for for a Roman garrison a group of sixteen they would form <coughs> excuse me they would form in battle this square around this sixteen it was considered a fairly impenetrable group to put a squad like this in charge of Peter was a big deal four squads of four soldiers were guarding Peter pretty serious deal and Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So you have the Passover, then you have seven days of unleavened bread. So Peter can count the days. One, two, three, four, five. He knows when he's dying. He's been given an appointment with the sword himself. He knows Herod's serious about it because his buddy James has already fallen by the sword. He's just waiting his turn. Do you think this might make you anxious? Would this make you more anxious than global warming? Yeah, because personal cooling is a lot worse than global warming. When you achieve, uh, you know, that certain level of whatever the globe happens to reach, you've got a problem. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. How did the church pray? Earnestly. Is the church a little anxious? Yeah, this is their leader. Peter has already emerged as the leader of the church. He's the one who preached on the very first day when there was a church meeting. This impromptu meeting, Holy Spirit falls on the church. They go out there and they start preaching. Preachers, Peter's the guy who preaches. 3,000 people become Christians that day as a result of this sermon. He preaches the inaugural sermon of the inaugural day of the inauguration of the Christian church. It's inaugural. And he preaches 3,000 people come to the church. The church is worried and they're praying and the story's great about what happens afterwards. It's not going to go that far in the story. I just want you to set the setting. Peter's in prison. The church is worried about him. Peter's writing out a sentence that's only a week long until the end of the Passover, at which point he's going to die. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, what is the next phrase? The night before, he was to be killed, and he is asleep. He is asleep. Reminds me of the book of Daniel. Go back and check out Daniel. You'll see in Daniel chapter 2 the same experience. Daniel, as as there's a a death sentence on all of the people like Daniel, all the prophets and people like Daniel in the kingdom, Daniel is asleep. He has a night vision. He has to be asleep to have that dream. Here's Peter. The church is praying earnestly. They're having all night prayer meetings for Peter. Peter? He's out. He's asleep. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He's asleep. He's asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Now imagine you're the soldiers. You're looking at this guy thinking, you're asleep? You're dying tomorrow? And it appears that the soldiers are just going to go to sleep themselves or at least something happens that night. Peter ends up out. This isn't the end of Peter. These two soldiers have him chained between them and the other other guards stood at the prison gate. Peter is in the third level of the prison. prison. If you read this whole story, you find out that Peter, Peter is in the third level, the deepest central portion of the prison, guarded by 16 extra guards, plus the regular guards, plus he's chained between two guys. This is public enemy number one. I don't think Jeffrey Dahmer had this much coverage. This guy is is in the deepest hole they can find. They do not want to see him get away. Hmm. Are they really afraid of Peter? I don't know. The Messiah seemed to have escaped death. He's not even dead yet. What I love about the picture, though, is Peter's attitude about what's coming. He's just asleep. He's just resting the face of the things that should make him the most afraid, the most anxious, or at least at least put sort of tweak that personality of his where he's going to start yakking all the times. When I get real nervous, my mouth is going to run. Sometimes it runs away. Sometimes it just runs, but it's going to run. Because I'm nervous and, I, and things start to bother me and I start to talk and sometimes I talk a little too fast and sometimes I just start saying stuff that doesn't make any sense real. I'm just trying to keep myself from running crazy because my brain is full of things that are scaring me and so I just start talking. And I know some of you are the opposite. When you get scared, you get quiet. When you get anxious, you get quiet. You just start to go into your own little hole and that dark place closes over you and you just get quiet when you get anxious. Peter, I think, would have been the talkative type, but he's not. He's just asleep. He's restfully, resting peacefully while facing certain death. Could you do that? Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. If you could cast all, get the word, your cares on him, would it help you sleep? How are you doing with your sleep right now? Anybody else waking up anxious? Anybody else thinking about the turmoil of what's going on in your family or at your job or what's going on in the world? Anybody else lying in bed worrying about a Korean missile hitting California? Anybody else having anxiety during the night, not being able to sleep? Here's a guy who knows he's going to die. He's just waiting for the clock to click through for the morning. And then they're going to bring him out to trial. He knows it's a mock trial. He knows the trial is going to end in his death. There's no other pronouncement possible in this trial. And yet he's asleep. How's your sleep? How's your faith and your joy? Amidst all the anxieties that are possible for life, how's your joy? Does it bubble up in you? Does it spill out on the people around you? Are you so joyful that people like to be around you just because you're you're awesome that way? Or are you burdened and worried and troubled with anxiety? Oh boy, we'll just not tell any more stories. Did you know that Paul was also on death row? Peter's on death row, Paul's on death row. Do you realize that of the 12 apostles, 11 of them end up on death row. Twelve if you count Paul. Paul would be the 13th. And the one, who doesn't end up, the one who doesn't end up dying is on death row. He just escapes it. This is the outcome of being an apostle of Jesus Christ in the first century. Somebody's going to want to kill you and somebody might succeed. In fact, it's likely they will. Paul ends up on death row. He's in a jail in Rome, and he writes a letter to the Philippians. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at this section of Philippians, chapter 4. I want you to know, my brothers, that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What's he worried about in terms of him being in jail? He's worrying about the gospel being preached. He's worrying about the carrying forward of the good news about Jesus. It has become evident... To the whole palace guard. Stop. The palace guard. How is Paul in contact with the palace guard? Pretty simple. These are the people in charge of keeping prisoners under the, ne- under the capital punishment thumb from escaping. So he's in touch with the guards on death row. And he says it's become apparent to all the guards here on death row and to all the rest, anybody else who will listen, that my chains are in Christ. Even my chains are under the hand of God. Even the anxiety that I should even this moment that I'm chained here between these two guards, even this moment that I'm chained here on death row in the Praetorian prison, even my chains are in Christ. Jesus has this too. Jesus has this covered. The ultimate Christian shrug is this one. Ready? All they can do is kill me. It's the ultimate Christian shrug. What's the worst they could do? Kill me? What's the next thing you see? Jesus. What's the next thing that happens? The resurrection. What's the next experience of yours? Transformation away from a sinful world? Ah, all they can do is kill me. When that becomes reality, a lot of anxieties can be let go. doctor comes in with a diagnosis that scares you, you know what You know we should say to him, we should be able to say to him, what I wish, I hope, I pray that I might be able to look him in the eye and say, the worst he could do is kill me. The Apostle Paul is on death row and he writes the book of Philippians. He writes a lot of his books, but read the book of Philippians recognizing that Paul is waiting for the judgment of the emperor. Next time you're reading it, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say to you, rejoice. Think guy in jail writing letter. Guy on death row writing this letter. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say to you, rejoice. I have learned to be at peace. I have learned to rejoice, even in my chains. There's an epidemic of anxiety in our world. The most commonly prescribed pharmaceuticals in our culture, in the, in the United States of America, are pharmaceuticals that have to do with the relief of anxiety. The most common things we do in our culture to deal with this stuff is self-medicate. I once knew a guy who had a hard time with just life. Everything in life was hard for him. He didn't like talking to people. In fact, he didn't really like people. He didn't really love his job, but he had to work. He he got up every morning and went about the practice of his daily routine, but it was just not cool. He didn't like any of it. And so what did he do? Every week after he had gotten through the gauntlet of that stuff, he would hit a bar. And he would hang out in that bar, and after he'd had five, six beers, he'd start to feel a little bit more comfortable, and he'd start to relax, and he'd let go of all the things he was frustrated about and worried about, whether it was money troubles, whether it was kid troubles, whether it was wife troubles, whether it was world politics troubles, it didn't matter. After a few beers, he could let them go. And it seemed to be the only place he could go to let it go. He didn't have Jesus. He had no one to cast his cares on, And so all he could do was try to drown them. We have this term, drowning my sorrows. Here's the apostle Peter in jail asleep. Here's the apostle Paul in jail saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Always now has a lot more more context to it, doesn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it to you again. Rejoice. We get to chapter four. He's wrapping up the book now. He's kind of closing. Chapter four is the last of the Philippian letter. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Formula peace number one. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, what are you gonna fill the gap with? I want you to take this out of your life. I want you to place this in the hole. Pull anxiety out of your life. Place prayer into that space. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. In fact, fill the space where you would worry with prayer. Here's how you're going to pray. First, you're going to tell Him what you need. You're going to go to God and you're going to tell Him what you need. Now, if we learned anything last week from having Pastor Caleb with us, it was ask Him what you should be praying about because sometimes you're not going to know what you need. Start with, God, is there anything I should know about what I should be praying about? And then lay that in front of him. Here's what I think I need. Put your burdens on him by saying, here's my problem and here's what I need. Number one. Number two. Then start counting your blessings. Start walking through the things that God has done for you. David faces Goliath. When David faces Goliath, do you remember what he says about it? I have killed a lion and a bear with my slingshot. I got this. I can get more rocks, and I brought my slingshot. Now, I didn't come here to fight Goliath. I came here to deliver lunch for my brothers. But I'm not letting him do that. We can't take this kind of stuff from that guy. I got rocks. Let's go. The past experiences with God allowed him to be courageous in the face of what looked like an insurmountable problem. So you start counting your blessings. Here's my need. And here's all the ways you fulfilled my needs in the past. One, two, three, four, five, six. You start counting your blessings. He says, place your needs in front of God and then thank God for all the ways he has blessed you so far. Do you see how this might fix this? How this might work with your anxiety? Are you willing to try? Are you sure? This has been in the Bible a long time. Take out the anxiety. Take out the worry. Replace it with praying, but specific things. Praying for God to to take those needs that you have and then praying back to God the things He has blessed you with because that gives you confidence that He can answer that prayer. When you walk back through the things God has done, it allows you to face today without worrying so much. When you read what Paul is going if you if you're reading chapter, this chapter in Philippians, you'll see Paul telling him, rejoice, pray, do these sort of things. And then he starts recounting the things God has done in his life. I've learned to do this, and I've learned to be this, and I've learned to have that. And he starts walking through. Why is that there? Because he's repeating the blessings God has placed in his own life as a testimony to them that they can trust God. One of the cool things about repeating your blessings, we just heard some, some, some praise this morning. We just heard some testimonies this morning at the beginning of the music. Those things encourage us. I'm so excited that, that the pain that, that left last week is still gone for Carlene. Because you know, we all wonder, right? Was well, this just a moment or is that thing going to What's going to happen there? Did that really happen? And we're looking at it happening and we're still saying, did that really happen? It really happened right about there. Here's the deal. As I give him my needs and I begin to to, to talk to him about his blessings, when I begin to speak those things that he's done, encouragement, encouragement, encouragement begins to push out anxiety and worry and stress. He doesn't stop there. He says, then you will experience... God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. You'll begin to experience God's peace. Put your needs in front of Him, recount your blessings, and peace will begin to creep into you and fill the places where the anxiety has been. You've got a kid you've been praying for this morning Lord, I need you to take care of my child. I don't even know what to pray anymore. I've been praying for this kid for 45 or 50 years. I've been praying for this kid for 10 years or 20 years. I'm laying my child in your, at your feet. I know you have blessed so far in these ways. You have watched over them. You blessed them when they were a child. You took care of them this far. You've blessed our lives. You've kept us in contact. You've kept the doors open in our in our relationship. And you can go through those things. And what happens is, letting them go becomes easier, and peace begins to fill you. Peace that isn't understandable to a person who doesn't experience it. One final thing. It ends up being two, but one final thing. Typical preacher. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I've been worried about this, God. Here you go. Here's how you have blessed me so far, God. I'm going to accept that you are actually in control. Cast all my cares on you because I understand that you care about me. Peter said it, and it worked for him, so here it is. And I'm going to stop focusing on on CNN and Fox. I'm going to stop worrying about whether the Koreans have a missile that will reach California. Because if a missile hits California, what can it do? The worst it could do is kill me. And the next thing I see is Jesus. It'll be a big mess. It'll be a giant hole in California, but I'm in Jesus' hands casting all my cares upon Him because He cares for me. And he has my salvation in his hand. And I trust him. So the North Koreans? Ah. No worries. A bomb hits California? It's a pretty easy way to go. You want that thing to fall on your house. Don't get killed by the explosion. Get killed by the impact. Let that thing squish you. The next thing you see is Jesus. It doesn't matter that you were all smeared. He'll fix that. Right? So paint a, paint a big target on your roof so if he's looking for a place to aim, he's got you. Now, all it could do is kill you. And then there's Jesus. Think about things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. If we could teach our children to do this, there would be a lot less anxiety in their lives. You know, we used to sing a song, there's an old, old song, accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative and watch out for mystery in In-Between. Accentuate the positive. We could do a lot in our culture, in our society, in our neighborhoods, in our grocery stores, at the gas station, in our job, if we just found ways to accentuate the positive. I am trying really hard on the freeway with this one. I really am. I'm, I, I am. I may be willing to put a sticker on my car if I can do this for about a year. I'm not counting it because the anxiety, frustration, and anger go right out the window sometimes. But man, you know, somebody pulls in front of you, those folks must be in a hurry. They must need to go somewhere. Lord, would you please watch out for them and keep them from getting harmed by this distracted moment in their life? How hard is that? You know what it does to me? gives me peace. I don't have to chase them to the next stoplight so they fear that I might be mad at them. Not that I've ever done that. This is not a confession, it's an example. Maybe both. Spend your time focused on the good things, the blessings, and accentuating the positive things in your life and it will change your life. And I'm not asking you to become Pollyanna with your head in the sand about the world. No, I'm asking you not to be fretting about it. I'm saying, God, the world's a mess. I'm a little nervous about it, but I've seen you've gotten people through messes before. World War II, people survived. Yeah, some hard things happened, some people die, but the next thing is Jesus. Right? Paul finishes. You're probably happy for that. He says, and... Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. What's Paul's last thing? Practice the discipleship that people have modeled in front of you. Practice the discipleship that has been modeled in front of you. All of us neglect our spiritual life If we do not have someone that we are watching. Someone who is further along in the path than we are that we are connected with in a relationship where they can speak into our life. So many of us try to do Christianity as a solo gig. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a fellowship thing and there should be some people ahead of you in the walk. They may be younger than you, but they've been Christians longer than you. And they may be a lot older than you. But whatever it is, we need somebody who is further along in their spiritual maturity to target and to pattern our life after. If that person in your life has passed away, there are still memories that you have about that. You want to find somebody else, but there are people that you have m- seen model this. Your parents, your grandparents, somebody you've known and led, known who, as a leader in your life. It may be a teacher, it may be some, some official, some boss, but somebody who has patterned Christianity in a way that you want to follow. Follow that, that mirror of discipleship. Jesus is gone from the earth. Walking in his footsteps is harder because we're reading it on the text watching someone else who is walking in his footsteps will be easier to follow. So what does the apostle say? He says, let go of your anxiety. Instead, pray. Bring your needs to Jesus. Bring, re- bring to your mind a recollection of his blessings. Accentuate the things that are positive in the world around you and in your own experience. And follow somebody who has some maturity ahead of you. How do you want to get rid of anxiety? That's a pretty good formula. This text has a really good formula for dealing with our worries and our stress and our anxiety. I would encourage you not to just read this passage, but to make it a part of what you do. Whether you're 15, 50, or 135, All of us can learn from this one who's gone before us. Riding from death row. Don't worry. Riding from death row. Just tell him what you need. Praise him for what he's done. Think about the good things in life. And follow me. As I follow him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we keep borrowing anxiety and worry back from the news, from the people around us, from the stress that we have at work. Help us to cast it all on you so that we can rest. Rest spiritually in you. Rest physically in our own bed. Some of us have been grinding our teeth, waking up at night, lists of things that have to be done, lists of things that we're scared by. We give them to you today. Lord, there's a big... Big obstacle in the way of our new worship center, we give it to you. We thank you and praise you for all you've done so far. We're in a building that had some difficulties getting a start, but got built and got paid for, and we're okay. We're out of the heat and the cold and the rain, and we are here blessed because you have blessed us. $193,000 our folks gave during the month of December. Thank you for that. Thank you for the generosity of this congregation. It moves us a step closer. It moves us through some of those barriers we're worried about. Sam was able to buy a, a mixer board for our new building that was $26,000 and you gave it to, him, gave it to us for about four. Amen. Thank you for the blessings we've seen. And we trust you for the blessings ahead. Remind us of what you've been doing in our lives. Remind us of the things that you've touched personally for us. We've seen healing before. We've seen peaceful deaths before. We've seen people with their hand in your hand go through hard things and go through good things. And you've never let go of their hand. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your promises. We look forward to a day when we walk the streets of gold. Without worry, without suffering, without sorrow, without pain, without death. Thank you in Jesus' precious name, the ultimate gift, the ultimate promise. Amen.